0: Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. There is nothing in your past that would cause God not to want to use you in your future. Amen? Amen? You're not sure yet. I want to say it again. I want you to think about this. There is nothing in your past that would cause God not to want to use your life in the future you go, oh, but you don't know what's in my past. Well, are we talking about adultery? Are we talking about attempted suicides? Are we talking about a chronic addiction? Are we talking about a chronic deception? Are we talking about a lifetime of lying? Are we talking about stealing? What is it that you think would keep God from wanting to use you in the future? Now, all of us conceptually go, yes, yes, we agree. But practically, we all dismiss ourselves because of things that are in our past. You ready? That other human beings will not forgive us for. We're gonna meet a guy today. He was a serial murderer. And God is going to take him and turn him into maybe the greatest missionary. To ever live. Matter of fact, before his life is over, he's going to write over half of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we read now 2,000 years later. Every one of us have something that we're tempted to think that it should eliminate us or at least make us ineffective. And I want to encourage you today that before this time is over, I want you to be confident that God wants to forgive you of your past, and he wants to propel you into the effective future calling that he has on your life, and he wants to do that, does anybody know? Today. Amen. So I want to invite you today to take your program, your Bible or your internet device. I want to welcome those that are watching online. I want to encourage you to share the service today and to be a virtual evangelist. And I want you to see this question and I don't just want to say it to you. I want you to see it because I want you to think about it in the story of your life today. What can we learn about our own sin From Jesus using a murderer to become the greatest missionary, potentially, that has ever lived. Now, before we meet the murderer, we're going to meet one of his victims. And it's interesting to think about how these two men that we're going to meet today, the victim and the murderer, and how we hold both of these men up as incredibly godly men that God used in history. I don't know if you know this or not, but God can make awkward relationships unawkward. God can take the greatest tragedy of your life and turn it into something beautiful. Amen? Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We meet the victim first. His name and Stephen. Stephen was his name. One of the original deacons of the church, full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up in dispute with Stephen. Now, this may surprise you. But in church life, you can never become godly enough that you don't have conflict. In your marriage, if you're married, you can never become godly enough that you don't have conflict. In your family... You can never become godly enough that you don't have conflict. There is not a transcendent moment in this life where you can get to the place to where everybody is in harmonious agreement with you all the time. Stephen he was doing miracles. He was doing signs and wonders. He was a deacon, so he was serving tables. So he was doing it all. I mean, he was doing the spectacular gifts and the servant gifts. I mean, he had it all. And these people rose up against him in disagreement, in conflict, and as the Bible says, in dispute. Now look at Acts chapter seven, verse 59. Now as... They were stoning Stephen. Now, hopefully your conflict will not rise to this level this afternoon in your marriage, in your home, or at the church, right? But it did for Stephen. They began to stone him. They didn't just want Stephen to be quiet. They wanted Stephen to die. And they were tired of hearing what he had to say. They were threatened by what he had to say. And so they began the process of getting rid of him. The Bible says that he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd probably pray, Lord, have him stop this. hey, why am I going through this? I mean, if I live godly, why should I have to go through this? But instead, Stephen was like, hey, this is my chance to go home. And isn't it interesting that as we walk with God, suffering at some point stops becoming the platform where we complain to God and start seeing it as the projection of what God's going to use to propel us into the life to come. That's subtle, but it's a drastic difference. And every one of us face trials in our lives, do we not? So what can we learn about our own sin? From Jesus using a murderer to be the greatest evangelist. Number one, think about this. Someone suffers unjustly from and for our sin. Someone suffers unjustly from and for our sin. So let me say it another way. We're all victims and we all victimize. You cannot get through this life and no one suffer because of your sin. And you cannot get through this life and not suffer because of somebody else's sin. And it is so easy when we've been victimized to want to call out to God and say, I have to suffer because of other people's sin." And we stop short of recognizing that someone has had to suffer because of our sin. And first of all, universally, who is that? Jesus. Jesus has suffered for the sin of all of humanity. I've been reading a book by a Jewish rabbi called... Why does bad things happen to good people? You say, do you recommend it? Not at all. Like I highly encourage you not to read the book unless you are very grounded in what God's word has to say. Because it is remarkable to me how he takes the scriptures and twists them and how he limits the God of the universe as to who he actually is and how he ignores the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made personally for him. And here is a Jewish rabbi who lost a son uh, and the son was 14 years of age. And if there is anybody who can understand what it's like for a father to lose a son, it's God the Father. And see, God wants to join us in our suffering. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. And the verse that confounds me and befuddles me and dumbfounds me more than any verse in the entire Bible is this verse in Hebrews. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And my response is, why? Why? How? I mean, that's, that is a remarkable thought. And I want you to understand that the story that we're going on today, whether you're the victim or you victimized, and by the way, both of us, all of us have been both, Jesus understands what it feels like to be victimized. We're going to see that. And I want to encourage you today that as we walk through this, I want you to think about how your sin victimized Jesus. And then I want you to think about his response. We're going to see it. And I want you to think about how other people's sin has victimized you and how you've responded thus far. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, by the way, in many of the Jewish synagogues across the United States, they do not read Isaiah 53 anymore. Because it is very difficult to read and not see Jesus in it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, somebody say it, peace. peace. And with his wounds, we are, somebody say it, we're healed. Now, down on the farm, we'd say it like this. We deserve the whooping, and Jesus took it for us. We deserve the whooping, and Jesus took it for us. He has said, let me step in front of the bus for you. And he pushes us out of the way, and he receives the suffering for our sin. And then these very interesting words, with his wounds, we are, somebody say it, healed. Healed. Do you want to know if you've been healed of your past sin? Here's how you know. It has no effect on the effectiveness of you living out your calling. You have come to terms with the fact that God has not only forgiven you, but he has called you. And his purpose for your future is not limited by the sin of your past. Amen? 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 But why is it that so many of us feel like it does? Here's why. Because there are people who will never forgive you. And you are living for their forgiveness instead of God's. Amen? Amen? You look into their eyes and you want their approval. You want them to be okay with you. And at some point, and it'd be great if they were okay with you, but at some point you have to let go of all those idols of human approval and human trying to please. And you have to say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask them to forgive me. And now, Lord, not only have you forgiven me, but you've healed me. And there's a difference. And some of us today have been forgiven, but we're not healed. We're not healed. We live with a pseudo view of ourselves from our past. And whenever we live with a pseudo view of ourselves from our past, we are living forgiven, but we are not living healed. And I want you to understand that Jesus Christ doesn't want you just to live forgiven. He wants you to live a life of healing. Amen? Now let me pry here just for a little bit. Some of us in our marriages have forgiven our spouses. But we're not healed in our marriages because we hold the offense against them in the practical everyday nature of the relationship, we hold it against them. And we live with this worldly mindset, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Now I understand that the Bible says that God gives the gift, excuse me, the the certificate of divorce to Moses because the heart grows hard at times in marriage. And I'm not suggesting that sticking it out, regardless of how you feel about each other, is the solution. The solution for a good marriage is real simple. It's two people who have chosen to forgive one another. And to allow the two to heal together in that process. And that's a choice and two people have to make that choice and if two people don't make that choice there's not a healthy marriage and you can stay together and have resentment toward each other and go through the motions that's not god's intent god's intent is forgive and heal look at acts 760 instead of 660 here and falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice lord Don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now that's incredible. People are stoning Stephen to death. And he's saying to God Almighty, don't hold it against him. Don't hold it against him. Where do you come up with such a model to follow? Look at Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then look what they do to him. In his most vulnerable, caring, forgiving moment, look at what they do to him. And they cast lots to divide his garments. You know what that means? In public, they took all of his clothes off of him and crucified him naked that sachet across his midsection in all of the videos and pictures is out of respect for our savior but jesus died completely naked and the people that looked upon him while he was being crucified looked upon him completely naked can you imagine not only being killed but being killed publicly naked in front of everybody, the shame of that, the vulnerability of that, the cruelty of the world is beyond measure. And I know that every one of us in here, to some degree or another, have been victimized in our moments of vulnerability where we've tried to show care and it got used against us. And we're caught in that. We're caught in the cruelty of what somebody has done to us in our past. Where we tried to forgive, we tried to be caring, we tried to be understanding and they used it against us. And I want to encourage you today, like Jesus, just to say to Jesus, I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. If you have been carrying something, leave today differently. Leave today saying, I will forgive. You fill in the blank. You say, how many times am I going to have to say that? As many times as you want to take the offense back. That's why Jesus told the disciples, how often do you forgive? And here's the answer. As often as you need to. That's the point. That was the point. The point wasn't in the passage, uh, let them just abuse you, destroy you, and you just, forg- no, no, that's not the point of that passage. The point of that passage is, you have to forgive people for what they've done to you. Otherwise, you will become what you hate. And you will hurt the ones you love. Jesus in his most vulnerable state said, I forgive them, Lord. Jesus understands. And so maybe today you're not there where you can forgive, but maybe you can say something like this. Jesus, I invite you into the vulnerable areas of my life where I've been hurt by other people. And I'm willing to learn and understand how you did that And I'm asking you to help me do that. I'm asking you to teach me how to do that as well. Someone suffers unjustly because of our sin. And then we suffer unjustly for other sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I suffer unjustly for other people's sin, I generally have one flesh response. Anger. I get angry. And the Bible says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so one of the greatest acts of love is learning to be kind to someone whose sin has caused you to suffer. Because the Bible says that it is the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. Now, this is not easy. This is not easy. And there are people in your life that you're in proximity to, possibly, that they make you really angry. Their offense, their sin, has caused you to suffer a lot. And it has broken your life perceivably in an irreparable manner. And you have struggled in your life with self-worth and self-view and all of the things that make up who you are because of that moment or moments. Jesus suffered and his suffering was not in vain and neither is ours. So we're going to meet the murderer. Let's meet him. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul approved of his execution. I mean, this guy's ruthless. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison so think about this metaphorically the culture is ravaging the church right and yet at the same time we have good people dying and we have a responsibility to grieve, lament And honor. And that's what the church is. We've got to look for a way to be a witness to a culture that's ravaging us, and we have to remember to keep honoring our own and committing ourselves to honoring our own and lamenting the loss of them. Do you know what the proper response is for when someone dies? Jesus gave it to us in John chapter 11, verse 35. It's one word, weep. When someone dies, we weep. That's what we're supposed to do. And and it's okay uh, to bring in Thessalonians where Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we weep but not as those who have no hope. So we don't weep hopelessly. So there's a kind of weeping that we do, but we weep. Jesus wept. Pain should make you weep. You say, what does it do to you? I'm just going to be honest with you. It makes me mad. And I have to battle that in my own life personally. I have to battle this pseudo-response to suffering. And what I have discovered in my life is that the reason why pain makes me angry is because it makes me in control, feel in control. But all that does is prolong the inevitable of what I have to deal with, and it also displaces my anger onto people I love. And that's a reality in my own life personally. And so nobody likes to feel out of control. But I got news for you. Grief will make you feel out of control. It's what it does to us, and it's God's intent because he wants you to meet him because Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Guess who will too? You and me. You and me. You and me. See, it's interesting. The Jewish rabbi, I finished his book yesterday. He said, don't get angry at God for suffering. He can't do anything about it. Like, oh gosh. How hopeless is that? You're on your own. You gotta figure it out. Made me really sad for him. Acts nine, one. The murderer meets the Savior. But Paul, excuse me, but Saul still breathing threats and murder. He's angry, he's wanting to kill people. See, once you've killed one, you want to kill more. He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he didn't care, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what I love about those words? Jesus takes it personal when people attack us for our faith. Jesus sees our suffering as his suffering. That's why it's so important not to take up a reproach against Jesus in your suffering, but to welcome him into it because he's the only one who understands it. He's the only one that gets it. And he wants to be with you in it regardless of how dark it gets. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. Now, I don't know what that moment was like for Saul when he comes face to face with truth. He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise, enter the city. You're going to be told what you are to do. I love that. It's a new sheriff in town, Saul. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul arose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, so they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was of sight, neither ate nor drank. That's a long 72 hours, I bet. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Send me, right? Send me, spend me. Here we go. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight. Now at the house of Judas, look at a man uh, of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. He's seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, love to be of help. I'd like to be a team player but I don't know if you've read the news lately. I don't know if you watch TV. I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. No, thank you. Find somebody else. I'm out. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. He's my chosen instrument. You see him as a murderer, Ananias. I've called him to be a missionary. Wow. For I shall show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed. He entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. (laughs) I'm sure Ananias is like, we're going to try this. I don't know how this is going to go. I would have said, Brother Saul, please don't kill me. I've got a word for you. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that Ananias is acting by faith, saying words he's not sure Saul's going to agree with? That's what faith is. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He rose and was, somebody say it, baptized. We're going to call for that today. And taking food, he was strengthened. So what can we learn about our sin from this murderer become missionary? Number two, Jesus' redemption exceeds our sinful past. Jesus' redemption exceeds, that's the key word, our sinful past. Exceeds it. One of my favorite um, movies is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's a good old Kentucky movie. And I believe it's Delmar, if I remember correctly. He gets saved and gets baptized in the river like I did. He's coming up out of the river, right? And he, they're like, Delmar, what you doing? He's like, I've been baptized. Come on in, brothers. The water's fine, right? And they're like, what? He was like, yeah, I've been forgiven. All my sins have been washed away, right? And he starts naming his sins. And he's like, you know that Piggly Quiggly that I robbed? God's forgiven me. And his buddies are like, I thought you said you didn't do it. He said, I lied about that, but God's forgiven me of that too. (laughs) I mean, that's what it looks like when you come up out of the water, so to speak anything that the enemy can remind you of, God has said, you are forgiven. Do you want to receive the healing from it? I mean, think about this. We do not have a record of all the people that Saul murdered. But I have a sneaky suspicion that some of their loved ones came to Christ through his ministry. Yeah. And the confusing thing about the redemption of God is that suffering and salvation seem to rub shoulders with one another Amen. over and over again in our lives. And God has given us a ministry of, you ready? Reconciliation. You are called To be a reconciler. But if you cannot forgive the people who have victimized you, you will move more toward victimizing instead of moving more toward the Savior who will use you. You ready? Not to be a victimizer, but to be a reconciler. And say to the Lord today, because this is the calling that God has on our future. He doesn't want us to be victimizers. He wants us to be reconcilers. That is our calling. That is who he has made the church and God's people to be. This unlikely suspect goes from murderer to missionary. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus immediately. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Here's what he said. He is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving That Jesus was the Christ. What can we learn? Number three, past sinfulness. I love this. Past sinfulness cannot exceed future God calling. Past sinfulness cannot exceed, right? Past sinfulness cannot exceed it. You've got a calling. God has given it to you. You say, what about this? What about this? Talk to him about that. He understands. Jesus died so you could really live. But you have to choose to accept his forgiveness. And then you have to choose to appropriate his forgiveness into your life. And that's what healing is. Healing is when you accept the fact That God did for you what you could not do for yourself, and He wants you to do for somebody else what they can't do for themselves. And so, who is it in your life? Who is it in your life that is dependent upon your ministry of reconciliation? Who is it that's hurt you? Their sin has hurt you, their sin has caused you to suffer. And you have paid a great price. And God wants to use you to reconcile them. Amen? Come on, amen? amen? This is the ministry of reconciliation. What is in your past that you think exceeds God's ability to advance His gospel through you is not true. And you need to share that with him today. When we go into a time of communion, whatever it is in your life that you think God can't forgive you for. And do you understand, do you understand why Judas killed himself? Because he would rather kill himself than ask God to forgive him. Does that make sense? He'd rather take his own life than realize he was at the mercy of God of a God who loved him, even though Judas betrayed him. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe he could be loved like that. And see, some of us can't believe that we could be loved like that. And we're missing out. We're missing out. We're missing out on what God has for us. Now, How many people believed, because I did, up until I studied this message, how many of us believed that it was God who changed Saul's name to Paul? Can I see your hands? Be honest. I thought the same thing. It's not true. If you go back and you read the book of Acts, Jesus only calls Saul, Saul. He never changes his name. And I'm thinking to myself, I've believed this all my life. Here's the thing. God doesn't need to change your past to use you in your future. He doesn't need to change your physical name. He doesn't need to change your physical story. You say, what does he need to do? He needs to redeem it. And he will, if you'll accept his forgiveness and receive his healing and accept the calling of the ministry of reconciliation that God has for your life. God does not want you to spend one more moment hating what you did in your past. It is a waste. God wants you to take what you did in your past and go tell everybody in your future what he's done for you in your present. That's your calling. That's when you will experience When you go share with others what Christ has done for you, and they say to you, Really? He really loves me that much? Yeah. When you go share how God loves somebody else, you'll experience how much He loves you. And it will begin to sink in, it will begin to become a part of your story. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.